A lot of people kill for love. A lot of people die for love. But would you be willing to smell for love? And then we take a personal look as I invite you in to my haunted apartment today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. Thank you, thank you, thank you for everyone who has purchased stuff from my merch store. Because I was trapped in the airport, I spent more money than I had budgeted. And today, or about yesterday, I got my first set of sales from my merch store. I got the money. People had been buying stuff, but it finally hit a threshold. I got some cash, so I was able to buy some groceries. Bought a bunch of salami and some Diet Mountain Dew. And I had to buy a little lantern for my backpack so I don't get hit by a car because it's super dark. And yeah, no, it's thank you everyone for buying the merchandise. If you do want merchandise, the link will be below or in your little app. But thank you. People are really liking it. It's amazing to think that people have, like, Dead Rabbit. One guy bought a Dead Rabbit poster. That's awesome. People are sending me photos of themselves in Dead Rabbit shirts. That's amazing. That's really, really awesome. And again, hats off to Ash Black and Grant Scott, the creator of the artwork, the creators of the different artworks. Thank you so much for giving me such amazing images that I love and people love as well. So... And thank you again for everyone who has purchased items from the merch store, because just that little amount of money, the cut, I shouldn't say little, but... And again, thanks to everyone who's purchased from the merch store already, because the money came in right when I needed it. It's very expensive to be trapped in an airport. Now, the second story is going to be my ghost apartment story. And it wasn't something that I had originally planned, but here's a little bit of a teaser. When I came home to my apartment today, something was off. And it made me realize... It's time to talk about my apartment. But before we get to that story, a little bit of a teaser, a little bit of a teaser. Before we get to that story, we are going to France. So hop in the carpenter copter. I like how the carpenter copter always sounds like it's about to die, but it doesn't. It's a great helicopter. It's treated us very well. We're flying all the way to France. And to get there, we also have to go back in time. So, bing. Now we're in the year 1876, a hundred years before I was born. So imagine me as a non-corporeal entity during this story. We're going to Patois, France, and you guys are shocked that I pronounced that right. It's the only reason I pronounced that right, because I was in a play. I was uh, King Richard the Lionheart, and I kept calling it Poitiers, and they're like, it's not Poitiers, it's Patois, which is stupid. It should be called Poitiers, because it reminds me of Sidney Poitiers, great American actor. And, that's what it's spelled like, Poitier. And now people are going to go, no, it's not Patois either, whatever. It should have just been Poitier from the beginning. But we're going to Poitier. Oh, we're, we're going to Poitier, France, yeah. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Or Poutois, okay, fine. We're going to Poutois, France. Or I don't even know anymore. So, we're there. We do know we're in the right location. Because we see a beautiful young brunette woman arguing with her mother. The young brunette. Very shapely, pretty hot French chick. Her name is a terrible name, though. Blanche. Blech, Blanche Monia. Monia. So Blanche. Gross. Why would you name your daughter Blanche? What is that? That makes me think of bland and a branch, which is already bland in and of itself. 
But anyway, so Blanche is talking to her mom, Madame Monnier. Her name wasn't Madame, but that's what she was known as. And that's what the article says she was. So, they're arguing. Now, the Monnier family was a very... They weren't super wealthy, but they were, they were well off. Yeah, they're, they're doing pretty good for themselves. And Blanche fell in love with a older man who didn't have a lot of money. And that really set the mom off. The mom wanted Blanche to find a proper suitor to, you know, marry into money. But instead, Blanche, 25 years old Blanche, fell in love with a man who just was kind of... He was a lawyer, but he, I guess he wasn't a very successful one because he wasn't upper crust. He was just a little bit of crust. He was, a little, he was upper crumb, maybe. He didn't, he didn't have enough money to go all the way to upper crust. He was just a little bit of the bread flaking. This fight went on for a long time. The mom's like, you have to marry somebody rich. And Blanche is like, no, my heart belongs to older lawyer. Uh, They never said his name. She wants to marry an older man who doesn't have a lot of money. And the mom wants her to marry someone who has a lot of money. So we see them arguing. And the argument is over this. Blanche is madly in love. Madly in love. And you'll realize that it really redefines that term. Is madly in love With She's 25 years old, so she's madly in love with an older man. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But he isn't very well off. He is a lawyer, so he, you know, is living off more than salami and having to attach lanterns to his backpack. But he doesn't have as much money as Blanche's mom wants him to have. Now, Blanche has two... So, Madame Monnier has two children, Blanche and then a son as well, and her son is a well-off lawyer. And she really wants Blanche to marry into money and help the household get richer and build all these social connections and so on and so forth. Blanche absolutely refuses. And she goes missing. Whenever people asked about what happened to Blanche, the mom would be like, oh, just ran off. Must have ran off with somebody. Sipping her tea. In the house, her brother, Blanche's brother, and the servants in the house were not allowed to talk about Blanche, were not allowed to ask about Blanche. They weren't allowed to know anything about, or really ask, or even question, or even dream. Have a, uh, last night I had a dream that Blanche was in the house. Yeah, they started whipping him. But we're supposed to have no conversations about Blanche. The lawyer that she was in love with... So the story starts off, like I said, in 1876. The lawyer she's in love with dies in 1885. So about nine years later, he passes away. Blanche doesn't show up to the funeral. He's not in contact with Blanche. But when she, the, the Monnier family is so well off that people aren't really suspecting anything. They're not thinking, well, you know, maybe she was murdered or something like that. They believe the mom when she said she left. In 1901, someone writes a letter to the local French police. Nobody knows who wrote the letter, but the police get this letter, and it says there's something going on in the Monnier house. You have to investigate it. There's this horrible thing happening there. I was like, that's weird. Now, for whatever reason, it's funny because, like I said, I used to be a journalist. We would get crackpot stuff all the time sent to us. I should talk about one of those stories one of the times. But anyway, so, you know, the cops get all sorts of crazy info sent to them constantly. But for whatever reason, the cops took this one fairly seriously. We don't know the details of the note. So it must have been fairly descriptive. But it did make the cops go, let's travel out to this rich person's house and just see what's going on. So the cops get in their cop car. Woo! 
and in, in France, I'm sure they make different noises. They do that annoying, wow, 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 like the Ghostbusters car. But anyways, so they're driving the Ghostbusters car. They're driving the Ecto-1 across the French countrysides. They go to Poitiers, and they come up to the Monnier house. And there they're greeted by Madame Monnier. And she's like, oh, no, everything's totally fine. I don't know why you guys would be here, but I am a socialite and you are guests, so come into my house. Thank you, madame. She's like, that's my first name. And they're like, well, that's weird. And they're walking around the house. They're looking around. Spotless. The house is beautiful. All the servants, the maids in uh, hot French maid outfits, which, you know, because they, they have to wear them. That's why they're called that. And the lawyer's son is gone. He's in a local town doing lawyer stuff. Cops are looking around. They're like, oh, this is, yeah. I mean, this house doesn't seem that sinister. But, you know, we're just checking out. Oh, yes, we, oui, we, oui, that's, that is what you do. You are the police. And she's like, is that the Ecto-1 out there? And they're like, yeah, we gotta go bust some ghosts after this. Marie Antoinette's been flying around. She's eating a bunch of hot dogs. <laughs> but anyways, so the cops are kind of looking around and nothing's really sticking out of them. Nothing's like super bizarre to them. Again, they just fought Gozer. So they're getting ready to leave when one of the cops upstairs goes, what's that terrible smell? That is a god-awful smell. So he goes down and he tells his other cop buddies, he's like, hey guys, before we leave, let's, let's come up here. I want you to double check something. So they go up there and they smell this, I mean, just unimaginably bad smell. And they're like, what is go? What is the smell? This house is so beautiful. Why does this part of this house smell so bad? So they start sniffing around. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I couldn't resist. They start sniffing around and they find a door with a padlock on the outside. And the smell is stronger outside the door. So at that point, the cops are like, I bet you there's a body in there. I, there, there has to be something in there. This has to be what this note is about. It smells awful. So they bust the lock. And at this point, you know that Madame Monnier is probably, she's probably so psychotic that she probably figured she could still talk her way out of what was about to happen. I don't honestly think like she was trying to stop the cops from breaking the lock. I'm sure she figured she could explain it away because she's, no one's ever stood up against her. The only person who stood up against her was Blanche Monnier, who went missing at this point. 25 years ago, the staff of the house was terrified of her. Her son was terrified of her. So why would she suspect that the cops wouldn't do what she said? But anyways, the cops, chink, chink, (laughs) break the padlock, falls to the ground dramatically in slow motion. It's all tumbling. They open the door and they're immediately hit with the worst smell possible. It... The cops at the scene really were like, it was undescribable, choking. You couldn't be in the room for more than a few minutes. And they didn't plan on being it. The room is pitch black. Even with the light coming in from the open door. They can't really see what's going on in there. But they do see, on the far end of the room, what appears to be a shuttered window with a large black carpet put over it. And they're not just using uh, curtains on this one. There's a carpet. So the lead cop says, okay, your job, rookie, your job is to go across this dark, smelly, gross room and smash that window open. We're going to stand outside here plugging her nose 
and you have to go do that. And the rookie's like, damn it. So the rookie goes over there, tears the carpeting down, breaks the window open, sunlight fills the room. The police see it is littered with food, like rotten, not like yummy, sumptuous Thanksgiving turkey, but just garbage food, half rotten, vermin everywhere, poop. They start to see poop, like little pieces of poop. And as the sun, not like rabbit poop either. As they start to take in the room, they realize that it's not just food and rats and feces filling up this room. There is a 50-year-old woman chained to a bed. And she goes, it's so nice to see the sun again. Blanche Monnier, when she refused to marry her approved suitor, was dragged upstairs by the mother, and most likely the staff as well, maybe even her brother, and was chained to the bed. And every so often, the mother would go into the room and would say, you've been up chained up here for a week now. I'm sure your spirit is broken. You're sitting in your own poop, honey. Will you marry who I say you want to marry? And she said, no. Mom would leave the room. The mom would periodically come back and say, are you ready now to marry who I say? No, mother. I'd rather sit here in my poop. I have all these friends that are rats from all the food you've given me. I'd rather be in here. Mom slams the door. Even after the lawyer died, even after her true love died, the mother came to her and said, he's dead. You have no one else. Will you, mother, I will not marry who you tell me to marry. For 25 years. There's before and after photos of her. She truly was ravishing before this all happened. 25 years later, she was only 55 pounds. It was a living skeleton. So it's not like, again, she was well-fed. They weren't bringing her up like quiche and foie gras and all that stuff. They were bringing her up scraps. She was eating them. I don't think all the rats were her friends. She probably had to fight a couple of them for a chicken bone. So the cops obviously rescued her and took her to the hospital. They didn't immediately arrest the mother. Because the mother's denying it. Like She's probably like, oh my god, I, I didn't know where you went. You must have changed yourself to that bed and brought food to yourself every night. The staff, again, was terrified of the mother. But the police do rescue, rescue the young woman, rescue Blanche. And the townspeople find out about what had happened at this house. And in true... French fashion. The French love to protest everything from Beauty and the Beast to the Yellow Jacket protests that are going on right now. And I guess the French Revolution that happened in between there. The French love to just protest and really to chop people's heads off. A bunch of townspeople in the nearby town formed a mob and started marching on the house. Two days after Blanche was rescued, a mob showed up at the Monnier estate and Madame Monnier seeing this had a heart attack, and died. Now again, no one had ever stood up to her until her daughter. She held everyone in the grasp of fear. And and afterwards, the son was going to get prosecuted for the crime. His lawyer was like, this, this lawyer, his literal defense was, he's mentally retarded, and he didn't know what was going on. Which kind of shouldn't fly, because he was also a lawyer. So if he was my lawyer, I would go, wait a second, you're mentally retarded? But it did work. He didn't get prosecuted for it. The staff all said, we were all terrified of her. 
And to be fair, if she's willing to chain her daughter up for 25 years, imagine what she'd do to you. And the theory is, is that one of the relatives of the staff wrote the letter to the police. And that's how they found out about it. Blanche ended up going to a sanitarium where she lived the rest of her days. They said that she was as mentally stable as a human could be in isolation for 25 years. Like, she wasn't out dancing the jig and she didn't go, you know, go like, oh, it's 1876, let's go, what's going on in America? Oh no, Civil War, like, but she also wasn't like catatonic. So she wasn't like super sociable, which you can expect, but she wasn't like, uh. So they put her in a sanitarium and that was probably the best place they could put her. Don't think they chained her to anything, but they really couldn't. I mean, she just wasn't able to take care of herself at that point. And she died in 1913. So she had 25 years of vivacious young life under a ruthless mother, but at least she had her own life. 25 years chained up in a pitch black room, having chicken bones thrown at you. And then 11 years of quote unquote freedom. Sure, she was in a sanitarium. But she did have, in a sense, the mental freedom. Her mother was dead. She was free of that tyranny. Now, the thing is, is that, like I said in the intro, people kill for love, people die for love. At what point in 25 years would you say, yeah, 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 just let me out? Like, I'm sure when she got all super skinny and was 50 years old, the mother still wasn't expecting her to go out and land Brad Pitt as a suitor. But for that first couple years, like at what point would you, honestly, if someone chained me up and said, you need to go marry this chick who has a lot of money, or you can marry this girl that you're really in love with, I'd give me an hour. I'll be like, fine, whatever. I'll marry the other chick. She has money. Like, I couldn't go a year. I couldn't go 20 years, 25 years, whatever. I mean, bizarre. But I guess she really loved that lawyer. And especially after he died, she continued to stay trapped in there to rather than give in to her mother. I will say this once. This episode's probably going to run a little long, and this is going to be our segue to our personal stories. A little bit of a... a <laughs> I guess this story isn't as dramatic as Blanche's story. But when I was... I'm, I'm very strong-willed, I've especially more so when I was a kid. Now I've learned to kind of give and take a little bit. When I was a kid, I remember my mom made uh, spaghetti and green beans for dinner. And I hated green beans. And we all sat in the living room eating it, sitting at the little coffee table, watching whatever was on back in like 1980. This would have been like in 1986. So I'm sitting there eating my spaghetti and I don't eat my green beans. I didn't like green beans. I didn't want to eat them. My old brother is eating his spaghetti and green beans. My little brother is eating his spaghetti. Everyone's eating their spaghetti and green beans. But I eat all my spaghetti, but don't eat the green beans. And for whatever reason, my dad made an omission that night. It really made him mad that I wasn't eating green beans. And I said, I don't want to eat the green beans. And my dad's like, you're going to eat these green beans. And I was like, Dad, I'm not going to eat these green beans. That argument lasted probably two hours. Now, two hours to a, what did I say I was? An eight-year-old? I was young. It was like seven, eight, nine, somewhere around there probably. Called. Two hours is a massive amount of time to a kid. And it was funny because I remember both of my brothers kind of being like, uh, they got up and left. My older brother went to go do homework. My little brother went to go play with toys. My mom was in the kitchen. She she was heartbroken because the man that she loved and the son that she loved were having this eternal struggle over green beans. And I we didn't have microwaves back then. 
I refuse to eat them. My dad's like, the longer you take to eat these green beans, the colder they're going to get. They're going to get even grosser. You need to eat these green beans. And finally, in the end, I didn't eat the green beans. Like, after it was about a two-hour-long fight, I remember just sitting there, and my dad's sitting there silently and going, just eat the green beans! And I was like, I'm not going to eat the green beans. It was this huge fight. It wasn't physical. My dad was never like that. But it was this battle of the minds, which, in the end, I won. But, oddly enough, I love green beans now. I'll eat them all the time. I have no problem just making dinner. Throw some green beans on, put on some Parmesan cheese or some pepper, whatever. But, yeah, no... So I do. I am a spiritual. I am. I am a spiritual ally of Blanche. Now I can already tell this episode is going to run long, but I don't want to. I I, I want to keep pretty much everything I just talked about in because I think that personal green bean story does lead into our next story, and that is. Well, I guess it doesn't really, but it's a personal story. So this wasn't originally the topic for today. Because something happened this morning. Now, last night when I was going, I all I do, people ask me, hey, hey, did you hear about this uh, political thing that was going on? Or, you know, did you hear about it? And I was like, listen, if it doesn't involve Bigfoot, aliens, or ghosts, I don't know about it. I haven't had time to read, like, in-depth articles on politics or society or culture in months. Like, I'll scan the news to keep a little bit updated. But when anyone wants, like, a deep dive into something, I'm like... Dude, really, unless Donald Trump got abducted by aliens, I'm really not aware of of really what's going on right now. All my time is spent researching this stuff and watching watching Omewrecker play Dead by Daylight on YouTube. That's my one guilty pleasure. So last night before I went to bed, I was researching all last night, and the last night before I went to bed, I got my book, The National Directory of Haunted Places. I've talked about it a ton of times. I love the book a lot. I'd say 90% of my ghost stories come from that book. Really recommend picking it up. It's a big book, but I thought, you know what? Before I go to bed, I'm going to read. I can't even take, can't even lay in bed and relax. I go, before I go to bed, I'm going to lay in bed, and I'm going to read my National Directory of Haunted Places, and I highlight stories that then I have to do further research on, see if there's anything behind it. So I grab my book, and I start reading it, and it's all stories about, like, people walking through walls and ghosts climbing into beds, and I, it's 11 o'clock at night. And I'm like, uh, maybe I shouldn't be reading this right now. This is kind of creepy. And I have a giant stick. So when I lay in bed, I can just hit my outlet a couple times and it shuts my light off. But I'm reading this book and I'm making little X's next to the stories I want to cover. And I was laying there and I thought, you know, it's so funny because I'm reading all of these experiences. And I go, and you know, like I believe in ghosts in a, in a sense, but where are they? Like, really, there should be ghosts everywhere. Where are they? And then I got a little more creeped out. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put the book. I'm just stop reading the book. I put the little bookmark in. Tossed the book to the side of the bed. <laughs> shut the light off. Turned on my phone. Did some more research. That wasn't going to scare me before I went to bed. I go to work. I come home. And I have to use the bathroom. And I go, oh, you know what? I need to do some more research. I can't even relax in the bathroom. I was like, oh, I need to do some more research. When I'm in the bathroom, where's my book? And I go to find it. Gone. Now, this isn't a small book. It's about the size of a human head. Not as thick, but it's, you know, it's not a paperback. It's not one of those lame little paperbacks. It's a trade paperback. It's a big, thick book. It's about as wide and tall as a human head. It's probably like 400 pages. And I look over to where I put it, and it's gone. And I go, oh, well, it must have fallen behind the bed. 
And I start to replay in my mind exactly where I put the book. And I was like, I know I didn't get out of bed because I hit the outlet with the stick a bunch of times. So I go, oh, it must have been here. And I look, it's not there. I'm like, oh, this is kind of a big book to just disappear. And at this point, I'm thinking, when I was reading the book, I remember thinking, why aren't there any ghosts around? Like, And I'm going to get into where there's ghosts around, but not the type of ghosts that I read about in the book. I'm thinking, uh, you know, because in the book, there's always plates being tossed around and dolls moving and creepy stuff like that. And so I go, it must be under this. Now, my bedroom is messy, but it's not lose the human sized head book messy. It's really not that messy. I have a bunch of clothes all over the place and I'm looking around and I go, maybe it's under this. Maybe it's under this. I'm digging. Now, again, reminder, I have to go to the bathroom. (laughs) I really have to go to the bathroom. And I'm feverishly digging for this book. At this point, I don't really necessarily need it to read. I need to prove to myself that the book is here. Can't find it. So I just go to the bathroom. I'm like, whatever, I don't have the book. And it's funny because I was sitting in the bathroom and I thought, I should ask the ghost if he took my book to give it back. And I kind of said it as a joke. And I was like, of course, it doesn't work because that's not the way ghost stuff works. Like I'm some sort of expert. But you know what I mean? Like I was just like, eh. And so I come out, and I at this point, before I went to the bathroom, I spent like 15, 20 minutes looking for the book, and I had lifted everything up off the floor in that area, looked behind the bed, looked in play. I was thinking maybe I threw the book. I was trying to play back in my mind. I was like, yeah, I remember turning over and setting the book down on a pile of clothes, and I grabbing my phone and hitting the light switch. I remember that sequence of events. So where is the book now? But So in, when I was in the bathroom, I was thinking, oh, maybe I should ask it. I come out of the bathroom. And I'm thinking, it would be crazy if the book was on the ground. And it wasn't. But, for whatever reason, when I come out of the bathroom, I kind of look on the ground, I don't see anything, kind of chuckle to myself. I turn to my left, and you're going to laugh at the first part of this. I turn to my left, where I have a big bookcase full of maybe, I don't know, 50 books. And I'm going, is it on the bookcase? And it was. It was on the bookcase facing against the wall. So I could only see the pages, not the spine. Now, the rational part of my mind goes, okay, and I grabbed the book. I took it out to the living room and started reading it. I go, the, the, the rational part of my mind is this. I must have, at some point, either woken up in the middle of the night, slept walk, picked the book up off the pile of clothes, and put it in the library, facing the wrong way. Or... When I woke up in the morning to get ready for work, it was in my way, and then I picked it up and put it in the library. That's the rational explanation. I do, to debunk, to to argue with that, it, it could have been in my way, but so were the three big piles of clothes would have been in my way, because I there was a, there's much clothes there. So why would I have picked the book up and put it in the library? But For whatever reason, it ended up there. And the most likely explanation is, I did it. I've talked about on past episodes that my apartment's haunted. And I kind of said, I'll talk about it later. I'll talk about it later. And when this happened this morning, I thought, now's a great time to talk about this. Now's a great time to talk about this story. When I moved into this apartment, it's a beautiful apartment. This place was probably built back in the 1950s. So it's tiny little kitchen, tiny little bedroom. Tiny little living room, but it's perfect for a bachelor. And it was great. And I remember when I moved in here, there was obviously no furniture or anything. There was just a fridge and oven and stuff like that. And the closet door 
has a padlock on the outside. Now, I've never seen a closet door with a lock on the outside. And to be fair, I don't think I've ever really seen a closet door with a lock. But it seemed odd that the closet is made to basically lock something into it. And I thought, again, rational, maybe the door is loose, and maybe if you don't lock it, the door is always kind of a little open, and it's kind of creepy. That's not the case, but that was my one of my first night. I thought, well, that's weird. Why would there be a, a lock on the outside of it? Not a padlock, but it's a little, like, slide lock on the outside of this closet. And the first night I slept on the floor, and I just kind of was like, oh, this is an awesome place. Like, this place is for me. It wasn't long after my first night. It may have honestly been the second or third night after I had actually moved in. Like, it was beginning to move my stuff in. And I never saw anything at first. But I felt there was the presence in my closet. And I could describe that. It was almost like a visual image that just kind of popped into my head. Could it be my imagination? Could have been a waking dream? But I got the image of an elderly man, emaciated elderly man, wearing nothing but underwear in my closet. Now, of course, I used the padlock on my closet, but I just had this horrible vision of this elderly man wearing nothing but underwear standing in my closet. For a long time, I didn't even sleep in my bedroom because it was really creepy. Now, there is a, but even when I did, I kept that thing locked. There is a shop in Hood River called Sparkling Creations. They sell a lot of gems and rocks and healing crystals and stuff like that. They also sell sage, which is a thing that you can burn, and it's called smudging. You basically smudge a location, and you can purify it, and it basically, in mystical terms, I mean, there's nothing scientific about this, but you can create a barrier from anything getting in. Basically, is a healing thing. And I went down there to buy some, and it's funny, because I've talked about how creepy Hood River is in general. No one ever really likes to talk about it, but it's just kind of a, is an, the town seems a little off. And I go in there to buy it, and I ended up becoming good friends with a bunch of people who worked there, but at the time, I was just a new guy, and I went in there to buy some sage. And they said, oh, yeah, good thing, because we sell out so quickly, you're actually buying the last one. And I remember coming back later, and they're like, oh, no, 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 we're totally out of sage. Like, Something they order and just a ton of people buy. They can't keep it in stock. So I get this sage. I've never smudged before, but I've known about the practice. And I went and did some research online, and they were talking about how to do it and things like that. I was like, oh, okay, you know, it seems pretty easy. But I had a problem with saging my house. Now, moving up to Hood River, I had always, like, especially when I was younger, I was all constantly having interactions with ghosts and or demonic activity or whatever it, it was. And so I'm all, I've been fairly keeping a low profile for a while, not like reading that stuff. You know, I'm doing it now, and that goes into another story we're going to talk about. Yeah, this episode's going to run long. But I remember thinking, okay, if smudging works, if I'm basically smudging my house and I create a barrier around it, and if you are a traveling, this sounds completely ridiculous, but just, just go with me on this. Let's say I smudge my house and I create a mystical barrier around it that nothing can get in. And let's say you are a spirit, a dark spirit wandering through the world. And you see this house here and that house there and this house here. And then you see a small little apartment with a glowing seal around it. This dark spirit could say, hmm, something special's in there. 
It'd be the equivalent of if you have a safe in your house, people go, oh, you must have some important documents or cash or other things in there. You could have those same things just in a drawer and no one would ever know they were there. But once they see your safe, they go, hmm, interesting. It's a pretty big safe. Why do you have a safe that big? Oh, yeah. You know, I just thought maybe I shouldn't smudge. Like, that was kind of the thought that was going through my head. Maybe I shouldn't smudge. Maybe it would basically be sending a beacon out saying, hey, don't come in my house. But when every time I leave my house, something's like, oh, yeah, you know, come after me. Is that fanciful thinking? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there anything realistic about that chain of logic? No. But it did keep me from smudging. I guess it's logical to me because I believe in ghosts. But you know what I mean? Like, I don't let them go, oh, don't eat donuts. And I'm like, better not eat this donut. Like, there are certain areas where I'll be like, oh, maybe this will have some sort of ramification. But I didn't smudge. But I'm still having, I still had this feeling that this thing was in my closet. And people would be like, why don't you try communicating with it? And I'm like, hell no, dude. It's creepy. Just going to ignore it. Hopefully it ignores me. But if for whatever reason, maybe about seven, eight months after I had bought the sage, I thought, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to sage my house. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I mean, it's not going to hurt anything. I'm going to sage it. Maybe I'm wrong about it sending off some sort of beacon. Maybe that's just, I've never heard of that in literature before. So I'm just going to do it. I will sage my house tomorrow. But I was sleeping out on my couch. I wasn't sleeping in my living room. That night, I woke up in the middle of the night. Again, any rational person will think I was dreaming. Even I think I was most likely dreaming. But I woke up in the middle of the night, sitting in my living room, laying on my couch in my living room. And the way my living room's set up is there's two doors. There's one that leads into the bedroom, which I keep closed when I'm in here. And then there's a door frame that leads into the kitchen, and there's not a door there, so it's just a doorway. And I woke up, and in the doorway of the kitchen was the old man. He was wearing clothes, and he stood there, and he kind of leaned against the door frame with, like, on his elbow, and his hand was kind of behind his head. He was just kind of leaning casually, and he goes, I'm sorry I scared you. That wasn't my intent. Please don't sage this apartment. Disappeared. I still have the sage. I never used it. I thought, that was interesting. Was it all possibly in my head? Yes. Was the old man in the closet possibly in my head? Yes. I still keep the closet door locked when I sleep in there. But I thought that was just a really interesting chain of events. But that's not the only haunting I've had in my apartment. And that's why in this same apartment, and that's why I think this story episode is going to run a little long. Hope you guys don't mind. But I figured I'd rather just get it all in now than kind of spread it out over episodes just to keep the continuity of it because there's different time shifts. So that happened when I first moved in here. And again, I keep the closet door locked. Sometimes I fall asleep and the closet door is open and I don't see like creepy hands reaching out of the closet in the darkness. It's just an open closet. Like sometimes I just pass out because I'm so tired. Now. Probably about two or three years ago, and I know that's kind of iffy, but my friend Lana could verify this because she was here for the After Effect. But fairly recently, more recent than all of the Sage stuff, I'm a big movie watcher. When I'm not watching YouTube videos of Dead by Daylight gameplay, 
when I'm not reading, a lot of times, especially after I'm done, like as episodes are uploading to YouTube, I'll throw in a movie, watch maybe 10, 15 minutes of it, move to the next movie, da 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 da, until I find something I really like. So I came across this movie called Asmodexia. Don't know what it means. Don't really want to know what it means. It was a Spanish horror movie about a grandfather and his granddaughter who were trying to kill the Antichrist. The devil had impregnated a woman and they were trying to kill the child before it destroyed the planet. And it was interesting because there's basically, if I remember correctly, I didn't watch a lot of it and it's been a while. There's basically three parallel stories. There was the grandfather and granddaughter. And I think it starts off with them killing a, killing a baby, killing a mother and a baby. We have a, a reporter who's going undercover into a mental asylum to expose the bad stuff that's going on there. And then you had a mentally insane woman who claimed she was raped by the devil. And I remember the most interesting part of the movie, narratively, was the devil was saying, it was this handsome young man, he goes, they're trying to kill my child, but what they don't know is that I've impregnated like 600 women. They can never stop this. They think they're trying to hunt down the one truth. They think they already beat me because they killed that one woman I impregnated. I'm just impregnating hundreds of them. They can't stop me. And it was a really intriguing movie, and I wanted to finish watching it. But what happened was, I'm sitting there watching it. I'm still in my living room. And I hear maybe probably about 10 feet away from me, I had a table set up, and I had some stuff on the table and some stuff on the ground. My living room tends to be a little more clean than my bedroom. I'm watching this movie, and I'm like, man, this movie is really good. It, but it was really creepy. There was something about the movie that was just kind of really creepy to me. And I'm watching it. middle. It's probably like four in the afternoon. I hear this BAM! Now, I can't make the, the noise loud enough on the podcast, but it was, it was the equivalent of someone dropping 60 pounds of bricks on the ground. It was this massive noise. And I immediately turned to my left, and I'm thinking a computer fell over, or the table collapsed, or some, maybe not 60 pounds, but it sounded like, 60 pounds would put a hole through the floor. It was loud enough that I thought something huge happened over there. And so I turn and I look, and everything's on the table, nothing's on the ground. And I'm thinking, okay, my, it could just have fallen. And I'm not seeing it, and I'm just staring over there in that corner, and there is nothing heavy on the ground at all. A couple pieces of clothing. And I remember just staring over at that area, and I'm thinking, what the hell? It didn't come from outside. It came from, I'd say five feet away from me, now that I'm looking over there. I'd say about five feet, because I recorded in my living room, about five feet from where I'm sitting right now, I heard that huge noise. And the movie's still playing, and I'm thinking... It was weird. Something in me said, shut the movie off, dude. Just shut the movie off. And I was like, nah, nah, that's just a coincidence, man. It must just be like somebody must have dropped something. <laughs> Someone maybe threw something downstairs. Maybe it did come from outside. It has nothing to do with the movie. But something was telling me, shut the movie off, man. This movie's way too creepy. I watched maybe five more minutes of the movie. Now, it was, like I said, about four in the afternoon, but my ceiling light was on. And the light goes, doesn't make that noise, but it burns out, but not in that where it burns out. It goes from being fully lit. And there is a, there was a, like a slight noise. And then it just slowly faded out. 
and I got up and I shut the movie off. I was like, ah, I'm done with this movie. Done with this movie. I remember then to wrap that story up. I I'm too I my ceiling's too high for me to reach anything. I don't have a ladder. So I had Lana come over and I was like, hey, can you help me change my light bulb? Because she's tiny, but she could climb on the furniture. I couldn't climb on any of my furniture. I was like Shrek back then. I was like 350. I would have smashed anything I stood on top of. So we moved the chair around and she gets up on the chair and she, I'm looking up right at the bulb and she kind of is looking down because she's smarter than I am. She simply touches the light bulb and it, I'm looking right at it. It turns to dust. Just completely just it was one of those CFL bulbs, you know, like the little wire ones. So I don't know if that's how those bulbs normally burn out. I'm pretty sure they don't die like that. And I'm almost 100 percent sure they don't turn to dust when you touch them. Was all of that connected to that creepy movie I was watching in an apartment that is possibly haunted? The skeptical side of me says it's a series of coincidences. You were moving into a new place, so you imagined this force in your place and then when you started to feel more welcome in your house this made-up imaginary thing welcomed you into the house that the noise that i heard may have even been connected to the reason why the light went out i could have been watching teletubbies and the same sequence of events could have happened the noise could have was most likely not a hallucination but was a noise emanating from somewhere else and the light bulb was just timing the book missing books you, people move stuff around all the time you're not known to sleepwalk but you know people do weird stuff in their sleep you may have woken up been half awake stepped on the book picked it up moved it these are rational explanations for this stuff and this story this last story i'm going to finish with has a rational explanation as well but it goes back to what i was saying that when i was younger and i read more about ghosts and stuff like that I felt like I had more paranormal activity in my life. And then in my mid-20s to, to mid-30s, I was more focused on music and wasn't reading so much ghost stuff. But then the, I started doing this podcast. I was probably... This probably would have happened, started happening around late October. It's hard for me to put a time on it because it just simply started. But I'd been doing the podcast at that point for a couple months. I was stressed out about stuff. Not necessarily podcast stuff, just life in general. Not so stressed out that I was like freaking out, but just general stress. And I was sitting in my recliner, which is where I record my podcast, which is where I go home to relax. And on the couch, again, this is one of those things that I can't say that I exactly looked over and saw this thing. I more felt it to a point that I could perfectly describe it to you. So it's like seeing it without seeing it with your eyes. Which, again, a skeptic would say, oh, that's what imagination is. I'm sitting in my recliner. And for whatever reason, I turn to my left. Something impels me to turn to my left. There is a purple man sitting on my couch. Now, not purple in the sense that he looks like a Care Bear. He's purple because it's a corpse who apparently has been strangled. Now, what's weird is that there wasn't anything like a big rope around its neck, or it was like, oh. I just had this feeling that there was a, a very, very obese, bald man whose skin was mottled because he was dead for so long, and the blood was pooling in, under his skin, sitting on my couch. It saw, I, I, again, I didn't see it, 
I never looked over and actually saw it. But I sensed it, I guess is a better word for it. I sensed this presence. It never moved. Well, it moved like it wasn't there all day long. I wasn't like coming home from work and he's... He, I, sometimes he'd be there, sometimes he wouldn't. More likely than not, he wouldn't be there. But sometimes he'd be over sitting on my couch. I wouldn't see it. It wasn't a hallucination. I just had this sense of it. When, it first, when I first had that sense, it really, really like startled me, obviously. And I thought, maybe it's because I'm now reading all these ghost stories and really looking into this paranormal stuff again. I'm able to see this stuff better. I think the most likely answer for that one is the stress I was going through. Because I'm launching, I've mean, been doing this show for a couple months. But it can get a little stressful. But not overly stressful. But that daily schedule, on top of other life stressors, was actually stressing me out to the point where my mind was just letting off a little bit of steam. And that was the result of it. Was Because I was already feeling uncomfortable with what was going on with all these changes in my life, good and bad, that I was creating this image to represent that. So, I mean, obviously the other option is that I was looking at a dead man. A ghost. The interesting thing about uh, ghosts in particular, because sometimes with you have it in Bigfoot, and sometimes you have it in UFOs. But the most interesting thing about ghosts to me is that they almost always do things that can happen naturally. You will have people say, "Oh no, I had this bookshelf and it tipped over," or "I heard this loud noise in my room and a couple minutes later a light bulb burned out." Those things happen naturally. Doors opening, lights shutting off, faucets leaking water, moans in a house. These are all things that, void of any paranormal explanation, houses will settle, electricity will go out, faucets will be faulty. They never, you never walk into a room and your refrigerator is hanging upside down. You may go, sometimes my refrigerator works, sometimes it doesn't, might be a ghost, but it... It's almost always stuff that can be explained. There are a few cases where people have run up walls or heads have twisted around or stuff that bones have broken in odd angles. And I guess all those could probably be explained as well, except for the head twisting around. But, you know, you can run up a wall and stuff like that. The UFOs generally are like it's a light in the sky or it's an alien aircraft. It could be one of those. Bigfoot, it's either Bigfoot or a another sort of animal, but the when you talk about ghosts, they're so varied. Sometimes it's a floating head down the hallway. Sometimes it's voices. Sometimes it's a sensation of being choked. Sometimes it's an old man in the closet, purple man on your couch, noises and light bulbs going out. But they still all are things that can easily be explained, and that's always the question for me with ghosts. Everything that I explain to you very likely has a rational explanation. Very, very likely, I was stressed out. I moved into a new place. I was watching a movie that was already creepy, and there was two coincidences that happened. And I woke up at some point and moved that book to the bookcase, which is where a book should be in the first place. Those all have very rational explanations. But even with those rational explanations, I think I'm probably going to sleep with a light on tonight. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. 
Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs>